The Old Testament lesson comes from the prophet Jeremiah. That's a wonderful sound. (laughs) Listen to the word of the Lord. Watch out, you shepherds, who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, proclaims about the shepherds who tend to my people. You are the ones who have scattered my flock and driven them away. You haven't attended to their needs, so I will take revenge on you for the terrible things you have done to them, declares the Lord. I myself will gather the few remaining sheep from all the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their pastures, and they will be fruitful and multiply. And I will place over them shepherds who care for them, Then they will no longer be afraid or dread harm, nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up a righteous descendant from David's line, and he will rule as a wise king. He will do what is just and is right in the land. And during his lifetime, Judah will be saved, and Israel will live in safety. And his name will be, the Lord is our righteousness. The word of God for the people of God. This past Friday marked 50 years of the assassination of John F. Kennedy. Through extensive media coverage and news reporting, last week every day and every minute would lead up to that dreadful moment in Dallas. Questions would come up then as they still come up of conspiracy theories, of what would the world be like today if JFK had not been killed that day? How would our government look? How would our world interact? But the biggest question that always comes up for those that lived during that time, where were you? And without fail, just about everybody can tell you exactly where they were. They can tell you the details of where they were as long as they're old enough to remember. But even the emotion from those moments would still come out. As Tom Brokoff interviewed many people for two hours the other night, many stoic figures, football players, would relive that emotion all over again. As I sat and began to think about my generation, what, what would define my generation? You know, those that were not living, barely. We think Watergate, Space Shuttle. Somebody would say, Elvis died, the wrong king. <laughs> Even O.J. and his dreadful ride and a white Bronco down the L.A. freeway. We can tell you where we were when we heard the news and we saw that. But I think anybody that knows 9-11 has redefined a lot of things as well. As I think about that, what happens to our country when such tragedy happens is that same question will continue to come up. Not were you there, but where is God? Where is God in the midst of all this? The theodicy question of why does bad things happen to good people will continue to ring louder and louder in our lives, especially when the security blanket of life is ripped out from under us. You think about Linus and Snoopy and Peanuts cartoon. Linus has a blanket, and when he loses his blanket, he can't function. And with the shooting of JFK or 9-11, we begin to understand and begin to process how do we function? 
I remember my mother talking about November 22nd, 1963. She was teaching children first grade in Hopewell, Virginia, and they would announce it over the loudspeaker of that old PA system that the president had been shot and killed. She said it was like the air was taken completely out of the room with the gasp, and nobody moved, and nobody said a word, and then the sobs would begin, and the confusion would happen. They would assemble, send the kids home, and parents would hug and hold their children, just like 9-11. For a country in those moments, we find that the insecurity and the fears and the reality of the fallen world is right there in front of us. I believe this is the same emotion that the people of Judah, the Israelites, are dealing with. And Jeremiah will come onto the scene about 600 years before Jesus and begin to talk about and to, to weep, to confront and to weep and to pour out his full emotion what he knew what was righteous what was supposed to be that he would come and he would begin to pick apart and in this section of the 23rd chapter of Jeremiah he lumps all the kings together on how they have messed up we see a hundred years before that the Syrians took out the northern the ten tribes of the north and how the heat is bearing down on them from Babylon Josiah is a good king to begin with. He turns rules, changes lives, turns the country toward God again. But bad decisions and poor leadership would happen. He would be assassinated, but then his nephew would be placed on the throne, Zedekiah. That he would be placed on the throne by the Babylonians, and they were okay with him being king as long as he would be their puppet. Well, Jeremiah is speaking to a country without, without not just a good leader, without any leader. A country that cried out to Samuel, you know, we need a king. Samuel says, you don't need a king. You've got God. He says, that if you had a king, that they will oppress you, they will tax you, they will do all these things to you. No, but we need a king. Every other country has a king. We need a king. God says, okay. Saul would be a king, and then David would be a king. And then Solomon and this split will become. The reality is that Samuel was right. And Jeremiah is stabbing the monarchy of being the problem and the excuse that Judah will be wiped out. As he slams us around a little bit, something changes in the fifth and the sixth verse. He begins to bring up another idea of what a king should be. Now, in our understanding, we don't get the whole shepherd language very well. Matter of fact, in our culture, we shepherd differently. A shepherd is so different in that culture. But a shepherd is not a bad thing. It's funny how it kind of translates on the narrative of Christmas, the story in Luke and even in Matthew, is a shepherd being this dumb person that works in the fields. A shepherd is a rich profession. And just about looking back through the history of the Hebrew people, Shepherds were a great thing. Abel was a shepherd and brought the sacrifice. That Abraham would be a shepherd. Isaac, Jacob, they would be shepherds. Moses would be in the high intellect of the palace of Egypt. But when he became a shepherd, 
was when he began to hear the voice of God. And David would be a shepherd. And so God's understanding of a king was not of this monarchy that ruled above all, but a monarchy that ruled among, a royalty that was like a shepherd, someone that would lead the people, someone that would protect the people. And we know in parables we see where Jesus would explain that when 99 sheep are there and one is missing that shepherd, the good shepherd will go get them to the lengths that a shepherd or king will be one that loves unconditionally. And it's even interesting that the name, when he says, the Lord is the righteousness, and you go and you study the names of God throughout the Hebrew text, that what Jeremiah is saying is that Jehovah is Zedekiah. He uses the name of the king. But he talks about a new king. He talks about a new way of being a king, a way in which that loves and serves, a way in which they'll go to the length. He talks about Jesus for us, and we get it. But he offers a people walking around lost, the same image that Psalm 23rd Psalm offers us, that though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, doesn't say we walk around it, doesn't say we walk in it, it says though we walk through it. The shepherd is with us. The image that Jesus would continue with. The image of understanding what a good king and what a good shepherd would be all about. This is the imagery that we step into as we finish this church year and begin Advent next year, awaiting, next week, awaiting for the king. That this is Christ the king. We learn a lot from children's stories, even if they're from other cultures and even other religions. And there's a folklore story about a great monkey king that the Jedekah brings us. It tells a story of a monkey that ruled by a very large, large monkey and a very wise monkey. And he lived in a grove of mango trees. And it ran ran behind the Ganges River. And it allowed all his delicious fruits to be with all his monkey servants and all his people. He ordered the monkeys to make sure that the mangoes did not fall into the river because he knew what could happen. Because down the river, there was a human kingdom that existed. And he wasn't trying to be selfish. He just knew the possibility. Well, one mango fell into the river and got down there, and the king, the human king, Brahmada, would find that mango. And his prime minister would tell him it's a sweet fruit, and he tasted it, and he loved it so much. They begin to send all his subjects and soldiers to go find mangoes, to go find these trees that produce this sweet fruit. As they would get closer to the mango grove, they would see the monkeys. They'd see the monkey kingdom there. And so he began to order the soldiers to pursue and slay the monkeys. When the monkey king heard of this, he knew that his worst nightmares had arrived. The soldiers began to chase the monkeys through the jungle, and when they came to the edge of a tall cliff, the monkey king knew that in order to get his subjects, his monkeys, to the other side, he would have to lie down, and that they would have to walk across him. So he took his huge body, and he formed a bridge, and each one of those monkeys would go past And the beating and the wearing down and the bruising was getting too much for him. And finally, when the last monkey crossed, he would collapse and fall to the rocks. 
Well, the human king saw this amazing feat, and he ordered his subjects to go get this monkey king, and he wanted the best doctors to bring him back to life and take care of him. And in his last fleeting moments and words, the human king asked, he says, you're their king. Why did you bother putting your life at risk? Why did you bother dying for them? And the monkey replied, with his last breaths because I am their king these are my children and it is my sacred duty to protect them and with that he died that's a king of a different kind that's a different kind of understanding of royalty and monarchy that we think of kings that sit in this judgment and they only but even the kings in that day all the people would know were all about themselves they were unjust They made treaties with other countries and did not care how it would affect anybody. That five good kings would be in Judah, none in the north. But even the five good kings, all their efforts of good could never combine to what the one good king, the king of kings, would be. As Jeremiah tells us from the line of David. We see even in the gospel reading, that question comes up. Where is your God? Where is your God? Because it doesn't look normal to people. That as Jesus was hanging on a cross, people would scoff him and question him. And even the soldiers would say, you've saved others. Save yourself. If you're the king of the Jews, get down. And even the criminal next to him would taunt him and say, you're the Messiah. Save yourself and save me. People don't understand very often what a king really is supposed to be. And Jeremiah defines it through Christ. This past week, yesterday, we we celebrated the life of Octavia, who's worked in this church longer than birthday gift for Christ (laughs) has been a part of it. It was a wonderful opportunity for a homecoming of song and feast. And I remember going to Octavia's house for her birthday. And I got there late because I'm late for everything. Food was still good. Food was there. I wasn't the last one. And she would continue to bring out more chairs, lawn chairs, stools. It did not matter. But there was always another chair, another spot at her table. That, to me, is a reflection of the king of kings. One that is worthy, but yet so loving beyond division and differences, so loving beyond anything, that there's always room at the table. This morning, we've confessed our sins, and we've approached the throne. Because of that, we are welcome to come to the table. Well, you see, Christ calls all of us to his table. It's not just a Methodist table. It's not just a St. Matthew's table. That he invites all to the table who love him, who earnestly repent of their sins, and to seek out peace to live among us. This morning, as we come to the table, there's room for all of us to be at the feet of the Christ the king. 
Will you join me on page 13? 